Cheryl Atkinson here with another Full Measure After Hours podcast. I'm here again with investigative producer David Bernkoff. So it's becoming a habit. Yes, it is. That's sort of the point. (laughs) (laughs) David and I did a lot of traveling around Europe as we started working on stories this summer for this current season of Full Measure. And one thing we really wanted to do was get inside Brexit, the British vote to exit the European Union. And it started without us having any preconceived notion of how it was going to turn out. We just simply wanted to know what was behind it and what was taking so long. And we found that uh, there's not a good answer for what's taking so long, except that the country is fairly divided down the middle. The parliament is divided into who knows how many factions. And it's really hard to work out the details of an agreement to leave the European Union that can get a majority in Parliament because there probably isn't a majority in Parliament that really wants to leave, well, despite I, the vote. I will, I will give a simpler answer. I think the reason, one thing we learned while we were reporting on this, the reason it's taken so long is because the people in power, by and large, do not want Brexit. So even though a majority of the people voted for it, those actually in charge of implementing it don't want to do it. And, and one of them admitted to us, he's a member of parliament in the Liberal Party, is that right, Tom Brake? He said he's doing everything he can to stand in the way of, of the exit, and he's not alone. Right, and I think one of the interesting things that we learned is the geographic difference in people who want Brexit versus those who don't. And that may explain why a lot of coverage, at least in this country, has gotten it wrong, but also clearly in Britain got it wrong before the vote. If you live in London, they're inside the Beltway. Like Washington, D.C. or New York City. Those people voted uh, against Brexit. They wanted to stay in the European European Union. But outside of London and the rest of England, they voted overwhelmingly to get out of the European Union. However, people in Scotland voted overwhelmingly to stay in the European mm-hmm. Union. People in Northern Ireland voted not as overwhelmingly, but in favor of staying in the European Union. And people in Wales voted to get out of the European Union. Okay, now what was funny is when we were traveling around, we spent a bit of time in London, and all the people it seemed like we talked to in London were like, nobody wants to leave the European Union. We all want to stay, when in fact... That's not the case. I mean, that may be how it seems to them living in the city, but that's certainly not the case outside of the city. And we spoke to a journalist who I mentioned I had met a couple of years ago right before the vote at a journalism seminar, believe it or not, in Russia. And this British journalist told me at that time that Brexit was going to be passed. And nobody else was saying that except some of these journalists I met at this conference. And indeed, they were right. So for a story we did on Full Measure about Brexit, I caught back up with him and said, how did you know? And his reasoning was, much like I see comparisons to the U.S., much like Trump won when nobody said he would, he said he knew Brexit was going to pass when nobody said it would because people weren't listening to those outside the big city, and there was actually a big sentiment. But also, let's talk a little bit about what's behind Brexit. And there are numerous factors, of course. But one that we honed in on was there's a lot of debate and discussion about the refugee situation, how to handle the immigration, overwhelming immigration, who should be responsible for it and pay for it. And it sounds a little bit like the debate here in the United States. 
Also, one of the things that probably Americans don't realize is that anyone from any of the member states in the EU can travel and work freely in any other EU country. So many people from outside of Britain have come for the economic opportunity that exists in Britain. So there's also some pushback, not just against the illegal immigrants from who are coming from Syria and Iraq, but just a sense that too many people are coming to Britain, period, from whether it's Poland or, or Italy or wherever. Just things are changing too rapidly. Yeah, there's definitely a culture clash, again, one that in some respects resembles what's happening or the discussion and debates here in the United States. But we visited places where um, Muslim refugees or immigrants have been pressed directly up against a majority Christian population or a different population and then been forced, they, they are forced to live together suddenly kind of and change change their the way they operate, change the way they see things, adapt to new ways. And this is creating tensions really in many parts of Europe. And something else I thought was interesting that you hear here in the United States, we spoke to several analysts and observers who said it's not that Europeans who are concerned about the immigration and these culture clashes are racist. In fact, some of them are themselves minorities, and they are very welcoming in general of this different population. They said it has more to do with other things, clinging on to a way of life that they like. It's not necessarily because they are white, um, by and large, or in particular because of any racial reason. It's just that as one analyst told us, people tend to like things the way they are when they have a comfortable life. They tend to push back against sudden change. The change usually, when it comes more gradually, a cultural change is more accepted than when something comes suddenly. And as we know, there was a huge influx all at once in the 2015-2016 time period. The other issue, and this one, even people who want to stay in the EU will concede there's validity to is the idea of what they call the bureaucrats in Brussels uh, controlling people's lives. And Brussels, Brussels bring the headquarters of the European Union. Yes, and there are a lot of small, petty rules that come out of Brussels that frustrate people. And so not only people in Britain, but people in Italy, people in France, find the what they believe to be an over-regulation of business and their personal lives to be a reason to have second thoughts about the European Union. And they pay taxes to the EU. I didn't know that. I guess I hadn't thought about it before our visit. So they pay their taxes for their country, and they pay additional taxes as part of the EU. And some of them resent that, that they don't have sovereignty and they're forced to pay into this big system that they may not agree with. This is oversimplifying it, so please don't write me if you're living in the EU and you say I've oversimplified it too much. But... It would be as if you had the United States of America with its 50 states, and people are paying taxes to the individual states, and then you created the United States, and all of a sudden people had not only their own states to deal with in terms of taxes and regulations, but then had on top of that a whole new series of regulations. We kind of did not did that, didn't we? Well, <laughs> uh, you know, they were created sim- at the same time, okay. so it's not quite the same. <laughs> Uh, but, yeah, look, and then there are people who say that the, the ease of travel and the 
lack of tariffs when you're doing business between countries, that those are great benefits, and why would you want to ruin that? I think it's interesting to note that it was not, while the Brexit vote was not a blowout, it was also not super close. It was like 54-46. So there was a clear majority of the people who voted, and it was a huge vote. Uh, I think the highest turnout they've ever had for any election in Britain. And the idea of having another referendum, which has been suggested, it's not at all clear that it wouldn't win again by well, the same amount. And the question I asked when somebody suggested that when we were in Great Britain was, what, do you keep holding referendums until you get the answer you want and then you implement that one? That's not a very you know, genuine way to come to some agreement about this. One funny thing was one of the conservative members who wants to get out of the European Union showed us a flyer that went out. Apparently the government, when it called the vote for Brexit, thought people were going to vote to stay in the EU and did not anticipate people would vote to get out. So they sent out flyers, the government at the time, that said it's really important that you vote in this Brexit vote because whatever you decide, the government will implement it. And it was like in capitals and exclamation points, only to come up upon a couple of years later when many in the government are trying to block it. Now, I think that's a very interesting question for a democracy. Uh, if you're going to allow people to make a decision like this, how can you not honor that and expect people to have any faith in anything the government does going forward? I think that's an issue uh, that Britain still has to face in these next few weeks is if they don't get out on the 31st because they still don't have a plan that a majority in Parliament can agree to, this idea of just constantly kicking the can down the road, I don't see how people can ever respect a government like that again. So part of the sentiment behind Brexit, the vote to leave, was a disgust by the people with government in general or with certain aspects of government. And we were told over and over again by those who support Brexit while we were in Europe that if this is, does not come to fruition, if the government doesn't follow through with the vote of the people who already don't trust the government, this is going to really just put a nail in the coffin of that system and any faith that many people have in it. And you're seeing, and we will talk about this, we talk about this in the story, uh, other parties are gaining traction at the expense of both of the major parties. So you have on the right, you have a Brexit-only party, which is taking votes from the traditionally conservative, conservative party. And you have on the left, the liberal Democrats, who are taking votes from the traditional liberal party, which is the, Tor which is the uh, Labor Party and further making any sort of solution difficult if there were to be another election because you could have a government split four or five ways in Parliament. So this has, by all accounts, torn up politics in Great Britain like nothing ever has. And I believe one of the analysts told us that the two major parties that used to really be dominant are now struggling to cumulatively even get 50% of the vote. That's, that's a huge transition going on politically. Um, in Great Britain and really in Europe right now. And then one more thing was raised, which we didn't really touch upon very much in our story, but I think is fascinating. That's the question of if Great Britain goes, and especially if it turns out for them, you know, turns out to be some benefit or they like it, other European countries are watching 
and have already discussed or at least flirted around the edges of also withdrawing from the European Union. We were told that when we were there as well. Certainly Italy has, although their new government is less likely to do that. France has discussed some it. Mo- some movement in France. The current government would never do that, but who knows what the next government might do. So yeah, the whole European Union experiment could come crashing down. Uh, and I'm not sure what the worst case scenario is other than I mean, there's disruption, but sometimes I think the disruption is exaggerated for political reasons. Uh, countries, countries trade with each other all the time outside of economic unions, so it's and, not like and trade did so would before stop. The, yeah, it did so before the European Union. Right. So there would there will be issues of uh, kind of making things happen in a different way, and there'll be a transition, and there could be. As one of the British government reports said, there could be shortages of some foods temporarily, but whether it would be the disaster that the biggest EU supporters are predicting, I don't know that that's what would happen. Not that we know anything from our short visit, but we did talk to a lot of experts, and my amateur conclusion was, we talked about this forming as we traveled around, I think if they rip the Band-Aid off and go... It will sort itself out. I don't think the world will come to an end. I don't think people will go hungry. You know, there will be some initial chaos, but there already is. But they'll have they'll have to sort it out if the Band-Aid is ripped off. They will come up with answers to the glitches and the problems. One other thing, yeah. and we touch on this in an entirely separate story, which we didn't intend to do when we left, but we found it so interesting. The other issue that we haven't discussed is what happens between Ireland and Northern Ireland, where they have had relative peace for about 20 years now, and any change to that border scares people. And again, how much change would actually be required if you go back to a system where the Republic of Ireland is in the EU and Northern Ireland isn't, that's up to discussion. But what people universally don't want to see is what they call a hard border between Ireland and Northern Ireland because they're afraid that that could lead to violence again. And it's, you know, people. I think a lot of people have forgotten just how bad things were in, in Northern Ireland uh, 20 years ago, and no one wants to go back to that. But again, that may be there are politicians who are using that as a way to, as one of the uh, Protestant Democratic Unionist uh, party, people said to us, scaremongering to keep people from getting out of the, the EU. The idea that there could be violence. Yeah. And for people who don't watch all of this, I certainly didn't very carefully. David knows a lot more, and he's well-traveled, and when you worked at CNN, you covered a lot of these things. But we'll also be explaining in the future how Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, the big main part of Ireland, are two separate countries that have often warred and you know, with this split, one would stay in the European Union and one would go because they are not one country. I think some Americans, believe it or not, and you could count me among them at some time, didn't understand or know the difference between these two regions and didn't understand how separate they really are. Yeah, when they, they never officially were at war with each other, it was radicals, terrorists from the mostly Catholic uh, IRA against radical terrorists from the mostly Protestant Protestant militias who were having 
uh, you know, they were shooting each other, they were blowing up things, they were killing civilians, they were attacking police. On the IRA was constantly attacking police and paramilitary. And you had a situation where not only did you have a hard border between the two uh, places, Ireland, <laughs> two islands, but you also had, and we go to, you had 20-foot walls built with barbed wire between Protestant and Catholic neighborhoods in Belfast and in, and in Derry and in other communities. And now the peace wall, they call it, because it's been peaceful, is a tourist attraction, not unlike the remains of the Berlin Wall. So with all of that having been said, you can see that there's a lot going on over in Europe that, that actually impacts us. We have some impact on them because if we help if we help Great Britain with their exit by making a trade deal with them that makes it nicer for them, which President Trump has promised to do, that impacts us, that impacts them, that involves us. And if you want to hear more about this story, you can watch it at fullmeasure.news, where we actually go to Europe and talk to all of these people and explain in additional detail what's going on over there. And stay tuned, because next week we'll have the story on the particulars of Ireland and Brexit. Yes, on fullmeasure.news as well, and on our TV program, you can see live and on demand on Sundays. So we hope you enjoyed this podcast. If so, think about subscribing, sharing with your friends, leaving your comments, giving us a good review, whatever you We do you can. want comments. We like reading them for we the most like part. We do like comments. And you can even go to CherylAckison.com and listen to the podcasts under the podcast tab and leave comments there as well. So thank you, David. You're welcome. And thanks for listening. Make up your own mind, do your own research, and think for yourself. This is the Black Friday special for the holiday season. Just for my listeners, the Clean Phone, the top brand in UV sanitizing, is now offering their top-rated, top-selling, best-reviewed wand product at 50% off and free two-day shipping. That's a great deal. The Clean Phone Wand is a handheld UV sanitizer that helps you eliminate 99.9% of bacteria and kill viruses in seconds on virtually any surface. It uses the same proven sanitizing technology employed by hospitals. Who wouldn't want that in your home? You can use it on packages, groceries, keyboards, tablets, money. Take it with you everywhere at 50% off and free two-day shipping. For a limited time, it's the perfect gift for anyone who needs it. It's super portable, and with days of battery life, you can take it anywhere and make sure your environment is clean and safe. COVID cases are on the rise, so get the Clean Phone Wand at 50% off right now, and they'll take 60% off a second wand. That's a great holiday gift for your family and your friends. So go to justthenewsshop.com, that's justthenewsshop.com, and get your Clean Phone Wand right now. This is an early Black Friday special, so don't miss out. Go to justthenewsshop.com right now.